0: Our reading is from Luke 11 and from Matthew chapter 6. So, Luke 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say... Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Matthew 6, from verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Amen. Let's just pray for Bev. For those who don't recognize Bev, Bev was with us for um, two, three years, two years, what half years. She's a Moreland student, and she's uh, she served our church incredibly over those that time as well, and many of you will know, but she's back to preach today, and I won't say any more, but I want to pray for you, is that okay? Father God, I thank you for my, my sister in Christ. Thank you for Bev. Thank you for her heart to serve you, Lord, her heart to serve us through your word this morning, Lord, and we pray that your words are Bev's words, Father. That actually the words that she uses that come out of her mouth are from you, Lord. And we just pray that we have open hearts to the work of your spirit this morning and the work of your word. Use your servant, Bev. Challenge us, Lord. Transform us, Father, we pray in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, you, Jim. Good morning, Waypoint Church. It's so good to be here this morning. I'm so excited to be here to share with you from the word of God. Thank you so much to Jim the elders, and the rest of the leadership team for inviting me back to come and share with you. Uh, It is a real honor and a privilege, and I do not take that for granted. So thank you so much. Isn't it amazing to have a baby dedication of Precious Rose? We love PJ and Lorna, don't we? And Precious Rose. Having babies dedicated in the church is a sign of hope. It's hope for today that the church is alive, And it's a hope for tomorrow as well that church will continue. So thank you for being obedient to God, wanting to raise precious rose in the ways of the Lord. Thank you, Margaret, for reading that scripture. Do you know when I was at home, I actually thought, I wonder if it's Margaret who's doing the Bible reading. (laughs) And we are wearing matching colors. Have you seen that? (laughs) Isn't God good? So our teaching for this morning is going to be based on the Lord's Prayer. The reason why Margaret has read from Luke and Matthew, both of them being the Lord's Prayer, was because I just wanted to highlight to you that it is in both Gospels. The way that we're going to do it this morning is we are going to attempt, or I'm going to attempt, to answer three questions that I set for myself for you, for us to have a better understanding of what the Lord's Prayer is all about. So we're going to look at who. Who do we pray to? We're going to look at what. What is it that we pray about when we say the Lord's Prayer? And we're also going to address the question of why. Why do we say the Lord's Prayer? So that's where we're going this morning. Is that okay with you, church? I was praying... um, a couple of weeks ago, asking God for a message for Waypoint Church. And I felt like God was speaking to me that I should preach on the Lord's Prayer. And as the weeks and the days went by, the more I researched into the Lord's Prayer, the more I realized that this is such a, a complex topic, but it's also exciting because it is a rich It's got lots of rich theological truths in it. Two things have happened to me since I was last year. Two exciting things. Well, they're exciting for me. I hope they're exciting for you as well. I'm not pregnant. Um, (laughs) I'm past childbearing age. I turned 46 in July. (laughs) The reason why I like to share my age with you is For me, personally, every day is a gift from God. And I do not take that for granted. So I am thankful to God for turning 46. And the second thing is I'm now in my final year at Moreland's College. (laughs) And I just want to say thank you so much for you guys for walking on this journey with me. I know there are lots of people who pray for me. Please do continue to pray for me. I've realized that the older that I get the more I realize that I'm so ignorant. And I pray that God will help me to be a lifetime learner, especially of the Bible. In August of 2019, my husband Paul and I went to Arnhem in Holland. Paul had uh, celebrated his birthday. I won't tell you how old he is because British people don't talk about their ages, do they? So I don't want to get myself into trouble when he watches this sermon. He's not here with me today, he's at work. He's a key worker. He works in an oil refinery. The kids were like, Mom, take Dad, take Pops. They call him Pops. Take Pops to Arnhem. Paul was in the Navy, and he is interested in history, and Arnhem is quite rich in history of the Second World War. So that's his thing. But I went along. It was his birthday. It was his treat. The hotel that we were staying in was close to a church. We heard the church bells ringing. And I got so excited. I was like, yes, come Sunday, I'm going to be doing something that really excites me. We're going to go to church. So we followed where the bells were coming from. We got to the church, this great big church, beautiful church, beautiful, beautiful church. Unfortunately, the doors were shut. The bells were ringing, the lights were out, there was nobody there. We were so disappointed. But we thought, no, we're going to walk around this town and see if there's a church here. So we searched for a church. And guess what? We ended up in this small little church. Maybe about 50 or 60 people in it. And guess what denomination it was? Baptist Church. (laughs) thank God for Baptist Church Baptist Church was open the big church was shut but Baptist Church was open I don't know what well certainly my expectation was of going to a church in Holland but for some reason I just thought the service was going to be in English (laughs) And I speak for many people too. I know English-speaking people are of the assumption that everyone should speak English. Am I correct? (laughs) It's like someone from France walking in here and hoping that the service is going to be in French. So they say, do you speak Dutch? Do you understand Dutch? And we're like, no, only English. I should know better. English is my second language. So they said, oh, don't worry. We've got Mary. Mary is very fluent in English. So she's going to come and translate to you what the minister is saying. So we sit at the back. That's what you do when you're new to church. You sit at the back so that you can scan around and see what's happening. Fifteen minutes into the service, no Mary. Half an hour, no Mary. An hour into the service, no Mary. Mary was a no-show. Mary did not turn up to church on that morning. And we were just sat there. We never understood a single word. Can I just say to you, if you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. Especially in church. Because you just don't know how God is going to use you in someone's life. So at the end of the service, an hour and a half later, they say a prayer. And I realized that was the Lord's prayer because of the rhythm of the prayer itself. So I prayed in English and something happened. I'll leave that story there. We'll come back to it at the end of the service. If I do forget, just say, story. (laughs) I give you that permission to shout. The Lord's Prayer is found in the book of Luke 11 and Matthew 6, as we've just heard from Margaret's reading. In Luke, Jesus' disciples ask him to say, Lord, teach us how to pray just like how John taught his disciples to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. They didn't say, Lord, teach us to to do miracles. They said, Lord, teach us to pray, showing the significance and the importance of prayer. In Matthew 6, Jesus introduces the subject of prayer in the middle of one of his greatest teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, And he teaches his disciples how to pray. Prayer is a key to the life of any followers of Jesus. Without prayer, our spiritual lives are dead. Do you agree, church? Prayer is the backbone of the church. Despite the popularity of the Lord's Prayer, It is often misunderstood and undervalued. For others, the Lord's Prayer is just a statement that is spoken out of habit or obligation without any meaning attached to it. Recently, we had the Queen's funeral. And the BBC has informed us that over 28 million watched the funeral and if you did watch both services, both services in London and Windsor, the Lord's Prayer was said in both services. So can you imagine how many people actually said the Lord's Prayer, whether consciously or subconsciously? The magnitude of The amount of times that you will say it. And that 28 million is just here in the UK. I'm not saying everyone say the Lord's Prayer of that 28 million, but I'm sure a lot of people say that prayer. Well, certainly for the ones who were invited, they had the order of service. (laughs) They had to say the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure you wouldn't want the camera, if you were an invited guest there, you wouldn't want the camera to be on you and you're not saying the Lord's Prayer. How about the rest of the world who were watching the Queen's funeral? How many times was the Lord's Prayer said? But I also ask myself a question to say, how many people actually meant what they prayed about? How many people understood what they were praying about? So we're going to look at the question of who, and that's um, verse nine. Of Matthew chapter 6. So, who do we pray to? I know it sounds like a silly question, really, for me to ask, but this is where we start. Who do we pray to? Verse 9 tells us that we pray to our Father who is in heaven. We're not praying to an image, we're not praying to a statue, we're not praying to an animal. We are praying to our Father who is in heaven. Amen. Sorry, I just helped myself to this glass upstairs. That's what you do when you're home, isn't it? You just help yourself. It said VIP on the cupboard and I thought, hmm, I'll be a VIP today and have a glass. <laughs> Hope I will get myself into trouble. So we are praying to our Father who is in heaven. And I know for some people the word father gives them goosebumps. Not everyone has had a good earthly father. Some fathers have been absent, some fathers have been abusive, some fathers have just not participated in their children's lives. They might be there in the home, but not caring for their children. Some people lost their dads. My dad passed 20 years ago. He was a good dad. He provided for me and my two siblings, my brother and my sister. He loved us. There was no lack in our home. But as good as my dad was, I know that there is a better father who is our father in heaven. In the book of Genesis, we are told that God spoke the world into existence. This is the father that we are talking about. Look at your neighbor, the person who's sitting next to you. Look at how beautiful they are. They are made in God's image. Look at the plants outside. The sun, the moon. Two weeks ago, we were out camping. Don't ask me why we were camping in September. It wasn't my choice. It was a requirement at New Orleans College for team building exercise. They got us camping in September. It was so cold. But I looked up in the sky at night, and there were beautiful stars. And I was in awe and wonder of God who created all of this. So if you start from that point, that you are not comparing God with your, with your earthly father. He is the almighty God, the creator, amen, brother, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He cannot be compared to anyone. It's a great starting point, church. So that is who we're praying to. We're praying to our father in heaven. Then it goes on to say, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. The Greek word that is associated with hallowed means holy. Holiness. That our Father in heaven is holy. He cannot be compared to anyone. There is a reverence In who He is. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Holiness is God's name. In the ancient time, when people were given names, they were not just given random names like what we sometimes do. Their names were connected to who they are, their identity, their personality, their character. So God is a holy God. Amen? And in Aramaic, Father is Abba. And it brings in the centrality of the relationship that we have with God. Abba, Father. God is a personal God. He is accessible. He wants us to call him Father. Which teaches us that he is warm, he is personal, but he is also an authoritative figure in our lives. Amen. Abba, Father, that is who we are praying to. He is beyond the limits of all possible knowledge and experience Beyond the normal of anything that you know that is normal, he is beyond that. So, now that we've established who we are praying to, actually, I've got a PowerPoint on someone who is very famous. I don't know if you've got that one. There you go. Do you guys recognize that guy? That's uh, JFK, present. Uh, Kennedy. He was president for America in 1961 to 1963. Don't worry, I'm not teaching politics. But what I want you to, sh- to realize is, can you see that little boy? That's actually a table. He's working there. And there's a little boy at his feet. That's his son. At that time, he most probably would have been the most powerful political leader in the world. And maybe he was even signing a very important document that would change the course of human history. But look at how that little boy is playing there, having access to his dad. You would have had, needed to have lots of security checks for you to be able to have, if, if ever, able to enter that office. We are not comparing JFK with God, but I just want to, to give someone just a little glimpse that might make you understand the magnitude of our God. That we too, like J.F.'s son, can enter into God's presence despite what God is dealing with for the rest of the world. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have that access to enter into God's presence. Amen. Amen. So what are we praying about? There is a theologian by the name William Barclay. He has divided the what we are praying about into two sections. So there's the God-oriented requests, which is, "Hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done." And then there's the us-oriented requests, which are for us, that we are praying for daily bread, we pray for forgiveness, we're praying for God to deliver us from temptation. So there's the God orientated, there's the us orientated. That's how he has divided the Lord's Prayer into. Is that making sense? Thank you. So we've already covered hallowed be your name. I went ahead of myself there. So the next what is your kingdom come? Your kingdom come. What does that mean? The kingdom of God was central to the message of Jesus. Jesus himself describes the preaching of the kingdom as the obligation laid upon him. In Luke 4, verse 43, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus' teachings were based on On the kingdom of God. And he said he was sent for that purpose. And he also said the kingdom of God is among you. So as he was teaching his disciples. He was teaching them that the kingdom of God is among you. They might not have understood what he meant. Even John the Baptist when he came on the scene. He came preaching on repentance. He said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus also preached on repentance, saying, The kingdom of God is at hand. So, what is a kingdom? Let's try and unpack that what it means to have a kingdom. To have a kingdom, you need to have a king. Without a king, there is no kingdom. In the Old Testament, it started with Yahweh. Yahweh was the king. In the New Testament, we see Jesus as king. God is king, Jesus is king. But the king also needs a rule. God ruled in the Old Testament and still rules in the New Testament. And how, how, how do they rule? They rule by redeeming people, by saving people. Yahweh, God, rescued the Israelites from the bondage of Egypt. Jesus still saves people today through the cross. So this is all part of the kingdom. The redeeming of the people of God from bondage from sin, from slavery, to worship God. Amen? So we have a king, we have a rule. By the way, under this rule, the people come under the governorship of the king. We have a king, we have a rule, we have people. In Old Testament, there were the Israelites. They were the people in that kingdom. In the New Testament, there's us, the church. We are the people in the kingdom of God. We were redeemed by Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus. And in that kingdom, there are laws, there's a certain pattern and expectation on how to live. The Old Testament, they had... uh, The Ten Commandments, they still apply today. I know some people say they don't. As well as the Ten Commandments, there were also other 603 laws. So in the Old Testament, they had 613 laws that they had to live by. I'm sure that was a struggle. How do you fulfill all of those laws? But in the New Testament the teachings of Jesus the parables that Jesus shared with us the teachings of the apostles on how we should live is what we come under. There is a standard of how we live in the kingdom in God's kingdom. But you cannot Do that on your own. This is why God gave us the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We have the Holy Spirit who enables us to be able to live by the expectation of how God expects us to live. But we have to submit to the Holy Spirit and let him empower us and enable us To live the way that God, who is a holy God, expects us to live. This is the kingdom that we are under. And one final thing about this kingdom, there is land. Land was a key thing in the Old Testament. By the way, can I just encourage you that the Old and New Testament are not separate? One book. Continuation. What started in the Old has been fulfilled in the New with the coming of Jesus. So when we are looking at the kingdom, we are looking at both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the, the talk about land, Israel, is the land that was promised to the people in the Old Testament. And for us, land is any sacred space where people of God gather. Like here in church church. This is God's land because we are a gathered people of God. In your homes, when you have small groups, which is why it's so important to volunteer, have people in your home, bring the kingdom of God into your home. So the kingdom is made up of a king, a rule, people, ways of how to live, as well as land. But most theologians talk about that we are in what they call the now, but not yet. So Jesus says, the kingdom of God is here. But he also teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. Meaning that there is a future. The world that we are living in now, there's lots of heartaches, pain, evil, lots of evil around us. And that will continue until the second coming of Jesus. But whilst we are waiting for that second coming of Jesus, you and I who are under that kingdom have to share the gospel with the people who don't know about Christ. It is Because God wants, he he calls people to himself. He calls people to worship him. He, he, He redeems people from the shackles of the enemy, from sin, from bondage. But we need to share the gospel. If you're someone who doesn't like to talk, that's fine. Share by your actions, by how you live your life, by the standards that you set for yourself in colleges, universities, schools, neighborhoods by how we live our lives. Hello to my brothers and sisters in the north building. I haven't forgotten about you. <laughs> so this is the kingdom of God. And Jesus encourages us to pray, your kingdom come. And there is going to be a, a new heaven and a new earth that is mentioned in the book of Revelations. As followers of Jesus, we belong to another kingdom. Our time here will end. This world will not last forever. At the time of the second coming of Jesus, our struggles, our trials, our difficulties will come to an end. Amen. So they call it that it will be at consummation. The kingdom of God will be consummated at the second coming of Jesus. And then we also need to pray, Your will be done. So that's the third one of the God orientated. So remember, I said it's hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the God orientated request that we pray when we're praying the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done. This petition sums up the other two. As God likes his name to be honored and his kingdom to arrive, that's his will. God's will is for his name to be honored and for the kingdom of God to come. As followers of Jesus, our lives should not be about fulfilling our own desires, but God's will. We die to our desires and submit to him. It's not about accomplishing our own will, but God's will. And sometimes it's easy for us to abandon God's will and get distracted and start doing what we want to do. For God's will to be done, it includes you and I. For us to take our position in the kingdom of God. When you say your will be done... You can be assured of the wisdom of God. God is the expert in life guidance, and He'll never lead us astray. When you pray, Your will be done, you're also praying for yourself that God, may Your will be done in my life. May Your will be done in my children's life. May Your will be done in my grandchildren's life. May Your will be done. In my in my community, in this church, in this country, in all nations, may your will be done. This is how powerful the Lord's prayer is. Now we go on to the we orientated. The us, us orientated. Give us this day our daily bread. Bread represents physical needs. It is a metaphor reflecting our dependence on God. It reflects an attitude that takes away... that takes. It, it reflects an attitude that takes one day at a time. It talks about daily bread. One day at a time. Probably about 10 years ago or less, this could have been a very foreign concept here in the West about taking one day at a time. But the financial crisis that we had in 2008 sort of like started ushering in that dependence of one day at a time, and some people lost their jobs. And then we had the pandemic that just speeded up the process. Lots of people lost their jobs, and if you're in here and you lost your job, so sorry to hear that, but don't struggle on your own. We have a community here of people who love you and people want to support you, and we have the hub that is doing amazing things in the community, as well as in this church. The hub is not just for the community, it's for this church as well. So if you're here and you're struggling, don't be ashamed to go to the hub and get some support. In the ancient world, one day at a time would have been a normal thing for them to do. Because they would work a day at a time and get paid for that day. So Jesus tells us that we need to show our dependence on God. Of taking a day at a time. And not worrying about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat tomorrow, the Bible says. That if God could provide for the plants and the lilies, will he not provide for us? In in this moment, we are in a crisis, aren't we? With a high cost of living. Energy bills going up. People worried about how are we going to live. God said, pray. Jesus said, pray one day at a time. Give me this daily bread. Meaning that this prayer is meant to be said every day if we are praying for a daily bread. You might not say it in the same way, but however, whatever it is that you pray for, make sure that you have covered those areas. Daily bread, one day at a time, and God will make provision for us. And I'm sure Jesus was looking at what happened in, um, to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness. The Bible tells us that God gave them manna. Manna reigned from heaven. That was their heavenly bread. They had provision of what to eat. And if you collected too much, it would go off. God was testing them on how they're going to trust him to provide one day at a time. And then we move on to forgiveness of sin. Verse 12, it says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. That debt, we can interchange it for sin. Forgive us our sin as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Sin comes from the Greek word called hamatia. And that word is used when Someone is shooting and they miss the target. They miss the bull's eye. You miss the target. You miss the mark. Bull's eye. So when we're talking about sin, we're talking about falling short of the expectation that God has for us. Just as God meets our physical needs, he also meets our eternal needs. The forgiveness of sin is what we need to live eternally with God, which he has already provided through Jesus. It is God alone who can forgive our sins and remove the guilt. When C.S. Lewis was asked a question uh, by a seminary student, he asked this question, he said, what is found in Christianity that is not found in any other religion? And C.S. Lewis said, that's a simple answer. It is the forgiveness of sin. Psalm 103:12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far is the removal of our transgressions from us. As far as, I don't know if you can even comprehend that, as far as the east is from the west, That's how far your sins have been forgiven by Jesus. Once our eyes are open to see the the enormousness of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trivial. I'll repeat that. There's actually a quote from John Stott. I'm not taking credit for that. It says, once our eyes are opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison extremely trivial. So when we have an understanding of how much we have hurt God by what we do, when we think of what others do for us, how they hurt us, it should be just minute. He also goes on to say, if on the other hand, we have an exaggerated view of the offenses of others, it proves that we have minimized our own sin. Forgive. As we pray the Lord's Prayer every day, Lord, help me to forgive those who have sinned against me. Just like how you have forgiven me. The same grace that God extended to us, we need to extend it to other people. God wants to do amazing things in his people, church. And sometimes we miss what God wants to do in our lives because of unforgiveness. Every day, pray, Lord, show me if there's anyone in my life that I need to forgive. Show me if I still have any bitterness towards anyone. How can the Holy Spirit move in might and power in your life if you're still holding on to the grudges of yesterday? We were forgiven, so we need to forgive other people. So we say, on how us orientated is provision of uh, daily bread, forgiveness of sin, and the last one is temptation, which is verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. My Bible says the evil one. I like it. I like that it says the evil one. We're not just saying evil, but we're saying the evil one who is Satan, he is the evil one. He is the one who tempts people. He is the one who wants to keep people in bondage. But Jesus, in in, in 1 Corinthians 13, I think it's 10, 13, it says, there is no amount of temptation that is going to come along your way that you will not overcome because Jesus will make a way for you. And that's by allowing the Holy Spirit to help us. There is a whole spiritual world out there. There are spiritual battles. And here in the West, we downplay it. We don't address the evil one as he is to say, You are evil. You are the father of lies. The Bible tells us that he is the father of lies. He goes before God and accuses us, falsely accuses us. He is a liar. John 10.10 says he is a thief and he came to destroy. But Jesus has overcome. And we need to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Hallowed be your name. Forgive us of our sins. Lead us not into temptation. When you have the Holy Spirit with you, Holy Spirit will speak to you. Holy Spirit will... Holy Spirit will... <laughs> Church. Holy Spirit will tell you that this is a no-go area. You are stepping into a territory where you do not belong as a child of God. And if you do that, you feel it in your spirit that you, you have grieved the Holy Spirit by entering into areas where you are not, which is out of boundary. It might be normal for everybody else, but as a child of God, we do not do that. Amen. Amen. Can I just remind you that the times are getting darker and darker? As we're drawing closer and closer to the coming of Jesus, second coming of Jesus. By the way, no one knows the day and no one knows the hour or the time. It can happen any moment. And it's getting darker and darker. There's more and more evil going on. You think, what's going on in the world? How can a dad just go and just shooting children in a nursery like that? Did you watch it in the news this week? Crazy stuff going on. We haven't experienced persecution here in the West, but there are many people, many Christians who are suffering persecutions for proclaiming the name of Jesus. But we have the Holy Spirit in us who will give us strength in times of trial, in times of hardships, in ta- times of temptation. The Holy Spirit will enable us. I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up here as we come to an end. Thank you, John. See, I love John Blakeman. This guy is good. He's a good man. Do you still still serve? I promised John. I saw John a couple of weeks ago. And I said, John, I'm not going to mention your name in my sermon because I very often mention John. But then, John, you've just prompted me to mention your name. Thank you so much. John serves here in the garden. You still do that, John? A little bit. I used to see John on Mondays when I was here. John and Mike. Working in the garden, keeping the waypoint garden beautiful. And John talks to the plants. Because he is admiring God's creation. Amen. <laughs> Yeah, so the story of Paul and I being in a church in Holland and not understanding a single word for an hour and a half apart from when we came to the end of the service and we say the Lord's Prayer. Throughout the service, I was hungry for God, which is why we went on this hunt for a church, any church. But at one point I thought, what if this is not the church of God? what if we're in Satan's territory? We don't even understand what they are saying. But when we say the Lord's Prayer, it gave me comfort. Not only did it give me comfort, church, but something happened in me. God spoke to me in that morning. I felt empowered. I felt equipped. For a moment, it felt like some scales had been removed from my eyes and I could understand the Lord's Prayer. I'd say the Lord's Prayer probably from the age of maybe four or five at school. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but by the grace of God, God saved me, amen? As loving as my parents were, I loved them so much. Sadly, they're both late. But anyway, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> that, that day when we say the Lord's Prayer, if I hadn't been saved, that would have been the day that I would have said yes to Jesus. I suddenly realized that there's so much truth in this prayer. That it is our responsibility for us to pray for ourselves and for other people. When we went to the hotel room, Paul said, I'm going for a walk. And I let him go for the walk on his own. After having been sat an hour and a half and not understanding what they were saying, I don't blame him. But as soon as he left the room, I started weeping. I wasn't weeping for him. I was weeping for the power of Jesus that had touched me. For the transformation that had happened in my life that morning from saying the Lord's Prayer. From that day onwards, when I say the Lord's Prayer, I know what it means. So why do we say the Lord's Prayer? It's because we love God and we love people. We love God and we want to be obedient to his word. We love God and we want to honor his name. My hallow be your name. We love God because we want his kingdom to come. We love God because we want his will to be done in Waypoint Church as well as in your personal lives and in the lives of many. We love others. We want to see God providing for their daily bread. We love others. We want to forgive them for the sins that they have, the pain that they have caused to us we love others that as we pray lead us not into temptation we pray for other people in our lives not to be led by into temptation our father is for everyone it takes away the individualistic of society of day, today who says you do you no you don't do you you do god's will And that means we pray for one another. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Actually, no, sorry, Jim. Can we say the Lord's Prayer, church? (laughs) Yeah? We can't finish without saying the Lord's Prayer. Can you stand to your feet and we'll say the Lord's Prayer? I don't know if you can see those words. And I pray that as you say the Lord's Prayer... Allow God to speak to you. Allow God for him to, to, to show you what this prayer really means and take away the preconceived that we just say this as what we do. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come.